There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen. We are tuning in <clears throat> from the Northern Hemisphere, and we're talking about the conscious journey of man. If you've tuned into the series so far, you would have heard such a diverse range of stories from different walks of life, which has been incredible but the journey still remains the same as you go from a point of darkness to a point of lightness and there is no destination on this conscious journey on this conscious journey of the woke man it is very much a journey and there's no pedestals and every man as you can see is on different parts of that journey and today i am joined by my brother derek from the u.s derek thank you for joining me brother Luca. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, where are you living right now? Uh, I am in, where, this is kind of kind of uh, interesting because I'm living in St. Louis, which is where I grew up. And my son, he's four, just started preschool in the same elementary school that I went to. And wow. some of the teachers still remember me. And it, so it's a hoot to you know, <laughs> drop him off and have people recognize me. Or kind of do a double take. Yeah. Um, but it feels really good to be back here after, um, you know, traveling the globe for, for many years. Wow. So you've done full circle. You've come back where you've grown up. Is that like, is, is, it, is it nostalgic? Is it good? Like dropping your child off to school and then recognizing, does it feel like a part of you is like come home and you feel relaxed? And Well, there's definitely because, you know, I run into people that I've known my whole life somewhere, mm. out, you know, when you're out grocery shopping and someone hollers your name or something that's that's kind of nice mm. and at the same time i grew up in the suburbs and now i'm living downtown in the city and city life is is totally different and so it's mm. it's like kind of like i'm in a new place mm -hmm. wow man and what took you home it was i guess it was time but um you know i was traveling with with my wife and two young kids and we were in portugal we, we were sort of doing three months at a time in a country and we were in Portugal and we were going to move to Romania for the sort of second half of summer last year. And my wife said, 
this is, I'm tired of this. Let's, let's go home. And then, then it became my mission. Mm-hmm. Like almost immediately I was like, okay, I'm on board with that. Let's, let's find a house. Let's like, like do it, do it properly so we can garden and we can mm-hmm. put down roots. Um, and it was, it was exactly what we all needed. Mm, perfect timing. And how old are you now, brother? Uh, 37. Beautiful, beautiful. How, I'm, I've just started my 30s journey. How's the, how's the mid-30s, mid to late 30s going compared to the start no, of your 30s? I, I forget how old I am. I, yeah. you, know, it's, you, you, you sort of stop, not you, I, I stopped keeping track at some point. Hmm. Um, my, I, I was actually introduced to this. My ex was a Christian scientist mm-hmm. and I met her grandmother and she was somewhere between 70 and 100 but nobody knew how old she was because they don't talk about age. And I think she was probably in her nineties, um, judging by like how many mm. generations there were <laughs> under her, but yeah. she was still like head of the garden club and still, you know, going on hikes. And, um, wow. when, when she sort of, when you dissociate from age being a thing, then it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect you when you're like, mm. Oh, I'm, I'm 90. I must be getting frail. So that was that was kind of cool to actually see the effects of disregarding age. Like the, the mindset around it, you know, like you go, oh, shit, yeah, I'm 40. So it's like you sort of just jump into that or I'm 70, I'm 80, I'm 90. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm meant to be like this. But I, I was recently watching a, a YouTube video on like someone who was 120 doing a marathon, like an Indian guru was running. Whoa. And I'm like, damn that's next level but you're so right hey it's like it's all in the mind if you i mean i'm not there yet but a big part of it i feel like is in the mind that's interesting man and derek what are you doing for a living right now uh well probably too much um but (laughs) i'm uh i'm a podcaster and an author and a business coach business strategist uh also do have an airbnb investment so i'd like to like to dabble in mm-hmm. different businesses. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cool. And so your podcast, can you explain a little bit about your podcast right now? We just rebranded. It's called the Derek Loudermilk show. It used to be called the art of adventure. And I set out to become the world's leading expert on adventure. And I went on adventures and I forced myself to be adventurous. And I met all the world's greatest adventurers and explorers and talked to them for years and wrote about it. And it was time to expand what I'm talking about on the show, including more spirituality, including more science. I have a background mm-hmm. as a scientist. And, um, you know, when I see the success of some of these shows like Tim Ferriss show or, uh, Joe Rogan, and they're, they're really able to do these fabulous long form deep dives, mm-hmm. you know, that's very appealing. So that's the direction I'm headed. Yeah, yeah. Wicked man. Wicked. And I love that. It's sort of, do you believe like it just, it's a natural process in life where you, you know, you've grown, you've changed as a human, as through your experiences, that this is like a natural process that you will go in a new direction as you learn a little bit more about yourself and what's important to you. Like that podcast is changing because you've changed. Is that, is that how you feel? Yeah. And it feels like adventure as a topic I've looked at from every possible angle and theory. And it's, uh, at some point you're, um, you know, even in the academics, um, people get their PhD in one thing, but mm-hmm. then they're sort of, when they become professors, it may be something totally different. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's a perfect natural progression, mm-hmm. especially when, when you sort of 
become the world's expert and, and there's there's nothing else to explore yeah well now it's a new adventure really isn't it i know it's <laughs> so funny it was like the analogy never there's never lacking for an adventure analogy yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it man uh derek what's one thing you're really good at i would say perhaps i'm also one of the best in the world at metabolizing ideas so what i what i mean by this is is i can take a huge amount of knowledge and so this is this is very cerebral and there's like different types of knowing but in order for me to be able to teach a subject at a high level then i have to sort of understand mm -hmm. like take a topic of adventure but i've done this before in science in you know, I was a bike racer, so I did it in bike racing and, and many different angles, but I'll take, you know, the whole, the whole supply of knowledge and try to condense mm -hmm. it down into understandable principles so that I can reteach it. And that's also kind of what the, the podcast is a vehicle for, you know, what I, what I'm seeking to do is I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that introduce people to concepts and sort of bring people up to a basic level of understanding. Mm-hmm what I see that I'm doing is bringing people to a sort of graduate level mm -hmm. understanding on, on important things that we're dealing with. That's incredible, man. So you're using your, your gifts of like, obviously you can um, conceptualize things, see them. And have you been a natural teacher? Like, is that where you found yourself being like a natural teacher to people? Yes. And, and, and so when I went back to element, this elementary school where my son is going, and I was talking to some of the teachers that I had as teachers and I was just having a normal adult conversation with them. And I was like, here's something, it's really cool that I learned. I just want to share this with you guys. I'm so excited about this. I learned this yesterday. And they were like, you, you did this when you were in first grade. Like you, you would come to school and try to get everybody. You would, you would tell everybody something you learned about dinosaurs or something you learned. And wow. you were just like, and, and it was, it was really cool to see, wow, I've been doing this my whole life and i just never realized that mm. and that's what i think is really important for people listening is that it's to spend some time and going what am i because that question i love that question what are you really good at like a lot of people don't really know they go oh shit i don't know you know and it seems like you were naturally doing it your whole life and it's just a matter of having that introspection to go oh there it is and because i mean because you're naturally inspired when you're doing that i'm imagining right and that's that's generally the truth is when you're naturally doing something that you're really good at, you're naturally inspired to do it. Is that, is that, is that what you found? Like you just love doing that? Yeah. And, and of course, you know, when you're so excited about something and everyone else is just, they're living their life and you try to like come in and you're like, guys, this is what you need to be thinking about. Yeah. And it, they're like, well, that's interesting, but I'm busy thinking about this other thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a kid, I had a few friends that, that were on the same page that were also like, willing to kick around wild ideas about dinosaurs. We played a lot of magic, the gathering and <laughs> Love it, man. nonsense. So, so that was, uh, having, having good friends was always important. Yeah, for sure. There, man. Yeah. What's one of your biggest fears <clears throat> right now at this point? Hmm. Let's see. That's, that's a tricky one. Um, I, I, I don't have really big, big fears. I still notice. So, so I do some, some bike racing and, um, 
you know, adventure sports, you know, jumping off waterfalls and stuff like that. And I, I still get into like physical fear. Intellectually, I understand, you know, we're all going to die and I've sort of come, come to terms with that. And I'm okay with people when I, when other people that I know die, it doesn't seem to affect me the same way that, that it used to, mm. but fears, <clears throat> I don't know. It's, uh, I don't really get stuck in fear very much. I don't really, I don't really notice fear coming up a lot. Would a bit, physical danger. Yeah. I mean, definitely with your adventurous nature. What about being a father now? Is there anything that comes up around fear with, with being a, um, a father? <clears throat> well, this is a new fear that I have, which I didn't realize was such a big problem, is um, children being taken advantage of like I've, I've heard of children being enticed, like even through their sort of children's video games and then like captured and sort of trafficked. Um, this happens in, in suburbia. This happens in developing countries, like it's across the spectrum. And you think like, Oh, that's not a problem. Like tra trafficking is, is in a developed country or not anywhere near me, but it, mm -hmm. but it is happening sort of all around us. And so, uh, probably that's the thing that I mm. am, am most afraid of just because I have these sort of like very pure little beings that mm. have been, they're, they're pristine. They've like been unaffected other than like one of them stealing the other's toys. Um, and, and to, to think of them like all of a sudden going through some terrible experience would, would just be a lot mm. uh, to handle. I can totally relate, man. I'm not, I'm not a father, I'm an, I'm an uncle, but I could only imagine like the love that you would have and just the pure tenderness of the, them, you know, at such a young age. And it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful world, but also such a challenging world. And it's, it's like the, it's like the paradox, like there's always a support and there's always a challenge. And man, I, I've taken my nephew to a playground, you know, that's a valid fear for me. Of seeing my nephew climb up ten times his height on a playground, knowing that he can drop, and like what would be the word? And I'm 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 constantly like thinking like that. So yeah, I don't know, man. Being a father would definitely raise some as a whenever that time comes for me it would be definitely a challenging period. I'll be stepping into a lot of fears there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel you, man. I feel you, brother. What's one of your favorite quotes? Well, there's one that I've been thinking about almost every day for months now, which is a, a problem can't be solved at the same level of consciousness it was created. I think mm -hmm. Einstein said that. And which, which leads, you, leads me to think, it, am I thinking at the same level of consciousness? Am I thinking about this issue or something at the same level that it, that it was created? So, so think about some issue like... Um, <clears throat> Israel, Palestine, right? There's like multi-generational hurt on both sides. Like you hurt us, we hurt you, we're fighting over this thing. That conflict could, could go on indefinitely if it was sort of treated the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so you can, you could choose to just like keep doing it as you've always done it, but there's some sort of outside the box thinking that would have to happen for progress to be made. Mm -hmm. And it's, it'd be the same thing about, uh, 
a disagreement with your partner or the same thing you're uh, a political system like mm -hmm. i think our our political system in the us the election is highlighting like we're just doing things the same way mm -hmm. and people most people aren't happy um with mm -hmm. with things so but it's like well let's just try to you know like solve it the same way we've always solved it and so then then it leads me and it should should lead you to examine like what are my beliefs like what is the box that i'm operating in what is the frame uh, the structure of my thinking here and what mm. may be outside of it. And it's mm -hmm. only sort of when you can examine uh, sort of where you're operating from, you know, like what, what box you're in, when you can see the frameworks, then you can start to see other ways of stepping out of that. Mm. That's so true, man. I love that, that higher dimensional awareness, so to speak, but it takes a bigger person to do that. Don't you think to be able to be that person that sees it from a different perspective? And yes, because what keeps us in the perspective, I believe is, uh, is pain. Mm. And when it's like, it's like the, the physical body even like pulls you into this place. Like if you're, if you're dealing with, um, and, and I was partly, partly thinking about our mutual friend who was on your show, Nick, you know, mm. and how he had some unresolved trauma that was affecting him that he maybe didn't even notice it was like keeping him from being able to do this sort of higher order mm -hmm. thinking. And so I think, you know, step one, clear out a lot of this pain and trauma. Step two, then we're more free to rethink, uh, you know, our everything from our systems and our technology to how we interact and how we, you know, what we need for ourselves. So yes, there is, there is stuff in the way of being able to move to a higher level mm. of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that man. I feel that. What's a conscious man to you? Conscious man. I'm not, I don't really, I'm not sure I really resonate with that term. Uh, conscious. It, that seems like somebody, somebody else like as a conscious man seems like somebody labeling themselves mm -hmm. um to make themselves feel good about something mm -hmm. um so I don't, I don't know like even like i don't even necessarily know what it means when people say i'm conscious or even when they say i'm woke i don't necessarily know like what these mm -hmm. terms mean i don't i don't really use them yeah. Um, yeah. Is that because you feel like you're, when you're using that, you're putting yourself on a pedestal or like you're better than someone else? Well, I don't, I'd, I'm avoiding using it because I don't want to fall into that. And there's, I, I do that plenty enough already thinking I'm like, when I learn something and then I'm like, Ooh, I know something that you don't. And that makes you feel great. And there's this, like, there's this judgment of, Oh, I must be special in some way, or I must be smart because I've learned this lesson maybe mm. a step ahead of you. And I'm I'm aware of that, and I'm aware of like how good it feels to be special and to mm -hmm. be good at stuff. And um, you know, but I also have a distaste for totally. it. Totally, totally, I can totally understand that. What does conscious mean to you then? I can, I can only speak to 
as I see my, I would say my conscious, when I, when something blows my mind and it, and I have a, a whole new perspective and I, all of a sudden an expanded view of, of the universe or life or humanity mm-hmm. or something like that, it feels like I'm, I'm sort of getting closer to sort of universal consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's, you know, for the last probably three, four years of my own sort of spiritual journey, like my mind is blown pretty much every day. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very exciting. But then you, you realize like how little you knew before. Mm. And then you're like, oh, now I've got it. Now like it yeah, all man. starts to make sense. And then you learn something new and you're like, oh, okay. So there's just always these like. Yeah. I feel <laughs> you, man. I feel next you. Next levels. It's like constantly you're constantly blowing yourself away when you when you're diving deeper into some sort of knowledge, or you know, even if it's just about yourself or on a topic, whether you're studying or whatnot. But I feel the exact same way. It's because you, I see you as like a very you have a very progressive mindset. Like you want to evolve and grow and just learn, and like it seems like learning is a really big value of yours. Would you say like <clears throat> that as a what I'm trying to get into here is like around really what the woke man is, is, is discussing the pro- progressive realization of, of your true nature. Okay. So if that, if we sort of switch it up a bit, being a conscious person or whatever it is, is it really just about learning about yourself? Would, you know, would you say like, what's your ideal of, uh, uh, of a human being you know is it coming back to our truth like what would the ideal human look like to you maybe that even is putting itself as a well, as one a... thing that that i find myself uh i was i was in uh maybe maybe an argument i was i was drinking some beers with my friends the other day and they were they were diving deep into you know getting upset about politics mm-hmm. and and what I wanted for them was to see that that what they were focusing on and, and where their thinking was was just like this small fraction of the the totality of their sort of beingness. And I was, you know, you 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 try to explain something in a way that somebody can like right. You translate mm-hmm. it into words, and then they hear it, and then maybe try to translate it into their experience. And there's a lot lost in, in the translation. Um, and I'm not sure I got anywhere. <laughs> um, but if they, if they were to see that they're, they're, even their physical nature, right. Is a small fraction of like, there's, you know, e equals MC squared. They're like, they're like an energy being in addition to a physical being. And there's like all such magical mm-hmm. things happening and they're, they're like in their focus is bringing them into this upset around politics mm-hmm. in this moment. And they're like feeling annoyed or pissed off or, wary of the future and so what it's it's having them experience is not peace it's not Mm. sort of expansiveness and and so you know as i see this expanded awareness it brings people to a state where they're at peace they're they're feeling connected with people they're not Mm. they're let's say more free from judgment um and and it's it's such a I mean, operating from a place of peace is is so much better than operating from a place of like Mm -hmm. trying to get the world to be different to suit you. Mm. Have you found that like there's been a journey for you to find more peace? 
like are you is that a, is that a is that like a some oh, sort yeah. of like a goal Constantly. that you want yeah you know like i i i notice a lot when i want the world to be different than it is and when that's taking me away from peace mm. and what i realize is that there's there's a should underneath that like you know this person should not be homeless well, maybe they should be homeless. Like maybe there's a reversal to that, or maybe yeah. like they're, they're living, they're getting exactly the lessons that they need or, or like mm. we shouldn't have, you know, racial violence. Well, maybe we should have racial violence. Maybe like this needs to happen now. And so there's, there's often a lot of uh, flips, a flip side way of looking at it that yeah. can, can show you a different judgment. Um, but I, but I've just been noticing like, when the world's not conforming to the way I want and when it's pulling me out of sort of a calm center. Mm, I agree with you, man. Something that I've been looking at lately is that, well, really the essence, this is my belief. What's, you know, everyone says, what's the purpose of life or why why are we here? And honestly, I think if I'm to look at it as objectively as I possibly can, I'm going to say to learn. And to grow, and I think that's that sort of shifted as my own spiritual perspectives have shifted as well. Because when we learn, we 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 naturally start to open up our perspective, our awareness, and I feel like you do grow into a sen- a deeper sense of peace. So, like, I'm wearing a hat. It says believe in karma, right? That that's my own projection that comes off of my clothing, and. Karma, you know, if you look at karma, you go, okay, well, what is that in the Eastern philosophies? Um, in, in the essence, is like cause and effect over lifetimes. And that's how they sort of look at it and go, what can I... And then that brings me into what could I possibly... I mean, more peace because, you know, you look at the homeless guy. I saw a guy, I was reading his sign this morning, sleeping under a bus shelter. You know, I'm in this beautiful warm house. He's sleeping under a bus shelter to me and like you know a lot of people can feel that probably a, a sense of guilt in that if you come into like you're not it's raining outside i'm in vancouver it's raining this guy's under a bus shelter like it it breaks your heart but at what sense do we we can't just sit there and go that's that's life man you gotta learn your lessons like i mean great stories have been written about people that sit in a bus shelter for many many years and then come out of it you know the man with the golden voice but I really feel like, and I really want to hear your perspective on this, Derek. I think life is is is, is always going to be challenging. It's always gonna there's always going to be adversities that doesn't go away. But what 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 changes is our perspective on the problems and whether we can choose to learn from the problems. And then, do we become more of a aware being? Don't have to call it conscious, whatever. But do we become more of an aware being through that process of learning? You know what? 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 What is your perspective on that? There's there's a few few ways I want to a few things I want to touch on. There's there's research uh, into the sort of afterlife and pre life experience. There's um, several hundred thousand sort of case studies of sort of people that he either had near death experiences and they can report back, or are um, sort of children who can remember their past previous lives um, Mm -hmm. sort of scientifically validated. And so we sort of have a pretty good understanding of these sort of 17 stages of what happens to a soul between incarnations. And there's a decision point 
when you sort of choose, you know, how, how you will be in the next incarnation, uh, male, female, where you're going to be born, like mm-hmm. what sort of events may happen to you. There's, there's still probabilities, but you're choosing these things as a soul to, to progress and learn sort of spiritually in, in, in sort of awareness. And then, um, so you may decide that a challenging life, a, a life of being homeless or disabled or um, suffering from, from all kinds of things may help you advance spiritually because, because you know that's going to help sort of get you to the, to the next level or, or the level mm. you want to be at. And there's, when souls make these decisions, they're getting guidance mm-hmm. from higher beings. And this is, mm. this is according to the research. So there's, you know, these, these multiple levels of people all sort of helping you make a good decision about how you'll be incarnated. Mm. And that may, and, and so that may wind up looking like suffering uh, in, in the 3d form. And, uh, you know, there's this, there's this a great, um, in, I don't know if you've read any of the Carlos Castaneda books, but there's mm-hmm. Don Juan, the, the shaman teacher, and his apprentice, um, you know, the, the apprentice is feeling sorry for these boys that are like digging for scraps in the dumpster and Don Juan slaps him. And he's like, how dare you, you know, judge them because they're learning lessons in life that you'll never have the chance to learn. Far out, man. I love that and, series. Yeah. That just gets so keep see, going. Sorry, keep going. I just get <laughs> Whenever you see somebody that you, that you feel sorry for, know that their karma is totally different than yours mm-hmm. and they're probably getting the exact lessons they need. Mm-hmm. Celebrate their growth. Hey. And, and what you were talking about of this feeling of, of, of guilt or, or embarrassment around homeless people, like that's also real. That's your experience. And if you want to help with something, there's a ton of, there's a ton of problems, but if there's a particular one you want to, become part of your life that you want to be involved with that you want to help with uh and and coming from sort of a you know giving an open-hearted place then that's also Mm -hmm. great Mm, yeah i feel that man beautiful side topics there i'm loving that man let's get back into the real deal though what's one thing that challenges you brother (laughs) right now what's one thing that challenges you yeah um my my wife is is challenging to me because we're so different in many ways we're very similar but but um so she is like a master at living in the present moment so when i when i want to talk about like future plans it's it's like an irrelevant thing Mm -hmm. and so i can i can appreciate like wow i aspire to be living more in the present and i'm sort of a future focused person Mm -hmm. and it's this like just just another example of like somebody being being different and so it's just a challenge to understand you know where she's coming from a lot of the times mm-hmm. just because not only not only is her like per- social programming different in in many ways but also just her sort of raw personal personality mm-hmm. is is different and it's it's also really cool to 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 be a part of and see um, you know, cause I, cause I've always been probably made friends with people who, who are like, just like me. And uh, the reason we're together is because there's something like we're, we're in the right 
resonance. Like we were able to find each other because something about us is, is the same. And there's so, there's so many things that are different that I just don't even <laughs> get. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. And uh, do you feel like you've changed as a man, like you've evolved as a, as a, as a man through that relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's coming back to the should, you know, like you should enjoy this because everybody I know enjoys it. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to enjoy it. Or, you know, another hard thing for me is people that live in the present moment. Like um, sometimes they, they change. Right. And so you could, you could really want something, like she'll be like, I really want to do this thing and I'll get all geared up for it. And then she'll be like, actually, I don't want to do it. And it's hard for me to shift as quickly, mm-hmm. you know, or just like, and which is, which is um, when you look at science or politicians, like we love people to be able to change their mind mm-hmm. in light of new information or, or um, if there's, if there's better evidence, we want people to, to be able to throw out an old belief that's no longer true. Like, you know, throw out that the earth is flat or that the, Mm. you know, whatever in light of new information. And so I can, I can see that I'm more sluggish in changing and that she can just go boom. And then Mm. she's different in an instant. And that's kind of hard for me. Mm. Yeah. I can, I can totally resonate, man. Totally resonate. And I love how you said like, there's something in her and in me, although very different, there's something resonating and, and that's sort of bringing us together. So I don't know, like, if anyone out there is listening right now, like we talk about this in, you know, the law of attraction or whatever it is you want to talk about, but just like this vibrational resonance and that's what we are as humans. And that, how do you see that as like, you know, you brought your relationship into your existence. Do you see that as like, if you bring something else that's very difficult and challenging into your life, do you see it with the same perspective of like that? There's something in that resonance that is here for me or in me um what do you mean so like if you've got something challenging in your life right the way you described you and your 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 partner's relationship is like there's something in your resonance together that has attracted you or into each other's lives so now if there's a challenging situation in your life that comes up do you see it with the same perspective that there's something in that in that challenging situation that i'm resonating with yeah i would say um if if something is challenging you, then it's likely reflecting something to you. Um, you know, like if, if I, if there's a disagreement that I'm having with a client or something like that, um, you know, a lot of times it's, I notice this in coaching a lot, like a lot of times the issue that, that they're dealing with and you end up coaching them on is like something like, Ooh, I could really benefit from looking at that same exact mm-hmm. thing. My, you know, my relationship with commitment or, or integrity or responsibility or, or any of these things. Um, so it's interesting, like how things are sort of reflected back mm-hmm. to you in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Brother, what does unconditional love mean to you? This is something that I've experienced recently with being a parent. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never experienced it before. Well, when you get into a flow state, I feel like you're experiencing unconditional love when you're like totally immersed in an activity. 
but I've noticed, so if, if I look at all of my romantic relationships or friendship relationships, there's always like some limit to how much you'll let flow out. There's like the hose could be small or it could be a big fire hose, but unconditional love is just like sort of an, an infinite amount of love that's allowed to flow out of you. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I have this belief that being a parent, this is so good for men because never in their lives before have they had the opportunity. I never had the opportunity. And I see it in, in other men as well to have this just sort of like infinitely strong love for someone else. It's like show, showing me that there's, that there's way, way, way more. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's like being shown, being shown a superpower. Mm. through the feeling of that love that unconditional love for your child yeah have you tried to replicate that love in any other parts of your life or have you like tried to level you that part of your life up to the same standard of love no i never thought about it (laughs) but (laughs) that would be interesting like i don't even know how you would try to do that but that would be interesting to try Mm. and yeah, because it's like that, that's your capacity, right? You've just been shown your capacity to love. And it's interesting. The love you would have for your own child, I'm not a father, but I could only imagine. But then it's like, well, if that's what I'm capable of, why haven't I been able to reproduce that anywhere else in my life? It's interesting, hey? But, well, so I do think, I do think when like, whatever that thing is that people are obsessed with and they're just like totally committed to and and when you when you get into... I talked about flow, you know, a great analogy is surfing when you're, when you're in the wave in that moment, you know, when you're totally immersed in, in the experience and sort of time has no meaning and, Mm. and you're just sort of connected to all things. Like that's, that's a form of unconditional love, I think Mm. as well. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. I feel that when you're in the flow, unconditional state of unconditional love is just completely present. Yeah. Wow. Do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? Well, we've, we've already sort of talked about um, like hierarchies and in, in different dimensions. And, you know, one thing that I'm really excited about because I have a science background and because I'm very sort of, I'd like to think about things sequentially, mm-hmm. but I, and I'm, I'm trying to teach myself to also sort of like come from a feeling place and understand it you know both sides of the both brain sides yeah but there's but there's like there's always uh you you can always look to a higher spiritual being for for guidance and like you know let's let's say the christian bible like jesus had god helping him out you know like mm. but there's but what we know about dimensions and, and all these levels is that you can you can there's always up and down a hierarchy like on planet earth there's like plants and animals and minerals and you know other levels of consciousness and then there's uh our higher selves and angels and so um i I appreciate this sort of continued progression this evolution of that we're seeing is is like a harmonic frequency and i don't know it's just it's just so cool to see how it all ties together Mm. um and where i'm working from is that sort of consciousness is the sort of base structure of the universe and sort of leads to 
our physical incarnations. It leads to the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, that's sort of the foundational consciousness that, that everything else flows from. Mm. Were you always a spiritual person? No. Come from a no, science I was, background. Um, like, did you get, were you raised Christian? Raised Christian. Yeah. Went to church and didn't, you know, I just liked the community. I just liked the people. So I, I never really thought much about God or spirituality or anything. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely, when you talk about being woke or woken, there's like definitely, um, I was even dating. We both, we both lived in Bali. I was dating a woman in Bali and she was like, I really like you, but I'm on a spiritual path and, and you're really not, you know, and I'm trying to decide if that's going to be a problem for us. And I was like, it's not a problem for me, but could, could be for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then I actually had my sort of spiritual awakening moment uh, on a trip with this, with this woman, hmm. um, which, which was that there's this, um, what I call a magic tree, which is about a thousand years old, it's, um, sort of in the, in the highlands near Badugal up in up in bali mm-hmm. and um i gave this tree a hug i was like oh it'll be nice it's so it's it's a super cool tree um there's three trunks basically three trees that have woven together it's very much like the avatar tree Whoa. um it's, it's about a thousand years old but when i touched it um uh it the tree projected my consciousness for me to a different forest in china and no why yeah, this is, this is, this is totally. So, so immediately I pulled my hand away and I was like, what the, what the fuck is going on? And I was like getting these, it was like an electric shock. I got the cold sweats. I was, it was totally wild. But this, this woman, um, who I think she lives in Vancouver now, actually, <laughs> um, she, she was like, I just lean into it, just lean into this experience. So I, so I spent 20 minutes sitting, touching this tree and you know, I, it took me on this sort of, uh, let's call it astral projection or sort of projecting my consciousness to this, to this place, uh, where the desert is sort of taking over the forest where, where deforestation is, um, you know, the, the Gobi desert is essentially expanding rapidly, um, because of, because of, um, sort of environmental practices there and the forest there is dying. And this particular tree was, was sort of showing me, um, that, that it, the, the consciousness of the tree was worried about the state of the world and it was giving its example and it sort of gave me a mission. This tree was like you, and this is why I started my uh, taking people on adventure trips into the forest, into the, into the wilderness was, was like, you, you need to take people into, the, into nature, let's just say, so that they can have experiences for themselves to, to realize who they really are. So I was given a mission by this tree. And, and I think, you know, just, just having that experience of, of like having my consciousness, like taken from me and, and moved to a new place. Just, just, I just started seeing the world differently. Mm. Um, what an experience, man. It's incredible. Yeah. You probably never look at a tree the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's cool. I never heard of that tree in Bali. That's that. Uh, people is it is it? Um, do a lot of people go there for that to that see that tree? I don't. I. Or is it not, not a lot of people go mind? there for for photo shoots and stuff. It's part of the um, botanic gardens. It's not. It's kind of like you have to seek it out because it's like okay. far in the corner and you have to kind of. 
Yeah. But it's, um, you know, I think it's a thousand years old or so, and, and people have probably known about it for a long time. That's I don't know that everyone gets a, gets a, yeah, it was just same type of experience. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> like I'm touching it, I'm going, what was he talking about, man? There's nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. What's Derek on about? Yeah. And that's beautiful, man. I love that. So it's, it's really cool to see your journey, you know, to go from sort of having that relationship and not being, you know, spiritual, <laughs> enough, spiritual enough to date her or, you know, on that same trajectory to sort of, to start speaking so powerfully and openly about your experiences now. And that's what I love about this series is it, it brings to light that not everyone is or what was always the way they are now. And that's change. That's, you know, transformation. But I want to get into the questions now that talk a lot about your own personal journey. Um, and the first question here is just wanting to paint a picture of sort of that same thing we started speaking about of, you know, I use the term with quotes, unwoke, not just because it's a, it's, a, it's a pedestal or a destination or we're better than anyone, but more so just um, a description of two different types of people in the one body. And Derek, just explain to the people listening now, was like, what did your life look like going back to sort of pre that, like, that relationship, you know, pre that experience with the tree and to how that's evolved how you've evolved as a human as to who you are today. I feel like I've, I've had many stages of, of unwokeness. There was a stage before I learned what entrepreneurship was mm. as well. When I thought I was going to be an academic and I discovered all these amazing people solving problems and being creative and sort of changing the world through a sort of sustainable, I see entrepreneurship as like, how do we, solve a problem sustainably and, and sort of create win-wins for everyone. And, you know, money is part of that, but uh, that just blew me away. So there is, uh, I was obsessed with entrepreneurship for five years as I am now about spirituality and science. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and before that I was obsessed about my science work. I was, I was obsessed about um, uh, understanding the beginnings of life and and how how that happened and i was thinking deeply about that i discovered a new species of a uh, very primitive form of life a virus that lives in boiling acid in in yellowstone and uh you know i was thinking about like could could life have come from from outer space or did it evolve here and if it evolved here like what would be the process like and, and what would beginnings of life look like and i was obsessed with you know just really understanding the biological nature of our world so so there's the each each one of these sort of awakenings is added to the previous one Mm. so previous to being a scientist i was a pro athlete and i was obsessed with understanding what the human body is capable of and and you know what is the nature of endurance and and psychology and how we find our limits as as people and so so each one is a not necessarily a stepping stone, but when you add them all together, right, they all influence the next mm. stage. Mm-hmm. So you sort of see yourself as just, and your life is just a progressive state of um, adding on to the next, you know, one experience onto the next. Like, do you ever look back and at your, at your life and go, Oh, you're such a, you're such a Derek, you're such a dick then. Or like you weren't just, you were, you're a pretty shitty human then. Like, was there any parts of you that looked back and go, oh, I could have been a better human at that point, or I could have, you know, done a little bit better towards this person, act a little bit better towards that person? Sure. Yeah. And I would say the, probably the major shift is 
is becoming less and less selfish. Mm. And um, when, so I'm an only child and was always good at everything. And so when, when your whole family is telling you how great you are and the whole world is telling you how great you are, and it's like your, my life structure was set up for me to just get good at whatever I wanted to explore mm. something. So, you know, early on I was the state math champion and then I was a geography champion and then I was a, you know, state champion in cycling. It's just like everyone was trying to help me just do whatever I wanted to do. Mm. And so there's this sort of entitlement that comes with that. And so in college, for example, I wanted my girlfriend to do everything the way I wanted her to do it, you know, and uh, I would, mm. I would get mad when she wasn't doing it. And, and uh, ultimately like try to do mean things to get her to pay attention to me. And so that, that's definitely um, something that I've uh, aware of, especially when you have kids, right. And you, all of a sudden uh, you, you want to be selfish. I want to be selfish. Mm. And it's, but then you put it aside because you've got a hungry kid or you want, <laughs> you want something your way, but you know that you're going to do it a different way because you're mm. no longer selfish. <laughs> I can definitely say that looking after my nephews, I'm like, you know, you go on from selfish to selfless real quick, you know? And, and, and I mean, that's a, that's a really beautiful quality to have in life anyway. But I, I like, yeah, I definitely see see that as being that that what you just said there is going. There was just different stages of selfishness of like you're reducing it uh, through your life to become. You know, they say this in spiritual ways too. It's like to be of service. You, you know, and then whatever value you have add to even in entrepreneurialism, like to be of service, um, add value to someone else's life, and that value will be added to your bank account. You know, the more value you add to someone else's life, the more value will be given back to you. Um, so I definitely feel like that's a really good point to just to, to share here with everyone is the, the level of selfishness that has shifted in your life. And I feel like that's relative into my life as well as you go less about I more about them or the, the greater consensus, but not so much where you, you're, you're draining your cup to the point of like, I just have to, you know, this altruistic nature comes out and be like, I've got to give everything away to everyone. Do you have a sense of like, I've got to give back to me too before you start giving to others. I've I've probably pretty got that the giving to me still mastered. Um, the, I'm still pretty good at looking out for myself. Um, it's it's kind of like you know where you where you direct your thinking. It's like the even the question you're asking yourself, like um, who who can I help today, or how can I surprise somebody, or or how can I make my wife's day better or something like that is, is different from like waking up and writing 10 ideas for how I can have an awesome day by myself. Um, mm. You know, um, so I would say my focus when I was younger was probably on, you know, how can I optimize my own life? How can I optimize my own experience? Mm. And perhaps I'm still optimizing my experience by focusing on, uh, s some on, you know, what I can do to others or how I can contribute or, mm -hmm. you know, what, one, one thing I really like to do is because there are, there's so many places you could direct your attention. There's so many things you could get engaged with 
and, and a lot of people feel like, oh, there's a, there's a problem in the world. I have to leap into action about it, or I have to make that mean something to me or to my life. And there's, so there's this overlap between what you really care about thinking about what's really important. And then there's all these problems in the world or, or whatever, you know, so, so you're, so you're really looking for the intersection there between what you actually really want to be spending your time with and what, what the world um, could use help with. Mm, mm, it's a beautiful balance. So in that, in that period, Derek, say like, you know, you wanting this sense, you had this sense of entitlement or whatever, whatever age you were growing up and as you were evolving consciously and what was one of your biggest vices you know, being, an, uh, was it related to being the only child or was it alcohol or drugs? You know, we see that quite common on this series is like there's a alcohol, drugs, porn, all that sort of stuff. What was your biggest vice? You know, probably just, probably just being demanding that, that the world bend to my whims, mm. uh, probably just being a brat, um, mm-hmm. expecting, you know, and, pr- and probably like, you know, looking down or trying to make people feel bad if they didn't uh, do what I do, what I wanted. <laughs> mm, so you were just sort of sort of connected to that, 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 I mean, that only that nature of being the only child, the quality of being the only child, you sort of wanted to keep feeding that into you. Yeah. Is that where it comes from? Do you feel? And obviously being so gifted and talented and, and everyone sort of like supporting you. Yeah. When, so, so the question is, you know, like vice, uh, you know, it was just, it was just sort of a, sort of a habit or an attitude of feeling superior and, and you sort of, let's say that creates a, uh, a biochemical state in your brain, right. Feeling, feeling good about yourself, uh, probably was, was what I was addicted to. Mm-hmm. Feeling good about yourself. Interesting. What about emotions? What emotion challenged you most in that same period? You know, typical anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, anger, sadness. The the thing that I'm still working on, um, and even though I was, you know, like rushing into my school and telling people about something I learned and very excited about it, um, the the feeling of either not being able to be understood clearly or not being able to say what I wanted to say or not being able to fully express. So there is, there's, there's always been some level of frustration with like why, why communication is so hard or why I can't communicate my experience or, or why I can't teach as cleanly as I want. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's like one of the major challenges of my life is frustration around communication mm-hmm. not being and, understood. and expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And that's been through your whole life challenging from an earlier age, as far back as you can remember. Yeah. And it's, it's not something I've mastered, you know, like <clears throat> I thought that once I learned to sort of say what I was feeling or express love, like wh- one thing about my childhood was um, <clears throat> I was sort of embarrassed about telling my parents that I love them. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure where that, where that came from, but for, I think I went like 10 years without saying that I love them just because there was some embarrassment around that. And, and so I couldn't, 
couldn't quite get close enough to my parents. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then when I learned to do that and I bridged that gap and now I feel as close to my parents as I want to be, I, I'm like, there is, feels like to me, there's nothing between us and, and that's amazing, but there's still, I find ways to, mm. to continue progressing in, in a expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there like a continued a memory or experience that comes up of like where that frustration started or is it something connected to something earlier in your childhood or earlier in your past? You know, my, my sense, my sense of it is that when I was an adolescent and starting to sort of be sexual and my parents were like, didn't really, didn't really, they, were, they didn't seem comfortable with that. And so there was this kind of, I felt like, like mm, you, you shouldn't be sexual or you're not old enough to, to be sexual or um, in, in some way, I think I was like, felt, felt bad about that part of me. So then, uh, then I was like, well, I'm just going to do this in secret. I'm just going to like not have it be like, here's my family. And then here's my sexual identity and they're separate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's like some, some, if I were to, to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something, I would say there's like, you know, some, some separating of these two parts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Has that been a, journey now do you feel like you've you've started to amalgamate the two parts into the one um i well i I feel like my relationship with my parents is totally clean and exactly the way i want it Mm. but my my sexual experience i feel is still open for exploring Mm-hmm. and in terms of how I want to express myself. And I feel like that this ties in. It's, it's interesting. I feel like it ties in with the other stuff that I do being a, a podcaster or a, or a teacher. I feel like it's very similar to, to express yourself in the bedroom somewhere where it's kind of scary and people may judge you and you might not get what you want the same way if you're sharing a cutting edge idea mm-hmm. and you know that people are going to push back against it, or you know that only a small percentage of people are actually going to get it or like it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very similar in terms of <clears throat> how, how that affects you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. And so there's, there's this, I think a parallel parallel exploration towards speaking your truth in, in the bedroom versus in, I completely agree, man. In, yeah, in consciousness, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be the next the next scientific venture for you, man. Yeah, <laughs> the science, science and spirituality. Next on science and sex. I, you know what? It's it's it's, yeah. it's it's definitely something that needs to be talked of, or spoken of a lot more for sure. And it's like, 
I feel like it is definitely, um, I don't know whether it is the, the Christian or the Catholic background, but I've definitely seen a correlation between like that openness, sexual openness with the correlation of religion. And I don't, I didn't grow up religious, but, but so it definitely wasn't for me, but for my partner, I've definitely seen that experience happen with her. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic, man. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Who whose love did you crave most growing up, Derek, and and who did you have to be to get it? I wanted everyone to love me. I think partly, you know, again to to talk about me running into school with a with a fun idea. My expectation was like we're going to throw a parade for Derek because of this cool thing that he's discovered about dinosaurs. Um, so I, you know. Um, wanted my teachers to love me and my classmates to love me and my parents to love me. And um, uh, a lot of times I got what I wanted a lot, you know, some, sometimes people, people would, everybody would stop what they were doing and just listen, mm -hmm. which, which is like getting exactly what I wanted. Um, <clears throat> you know, I would say going back to not being able to tell my parents, I love them. Um, I would say my dad also probably from what he learned from his dad, like we, we, there's been a progression, but my grandfather, n not very good at communicating my dad a little bit better, me, maybe a little bit better. Um, but so maybe my dad, so I know that my dad, he was, he was there at like all the important events in my life. He was like the one guy who came to the the rainy track meet when no other parents were there. You know, he was the one who was <clears throat> willing to, to like take time off work just to go see me do a dumb thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so it was like, I could feel his love and, and admiration and, and respect through all of his actions. But it was like, there was this, um, I, I would say it's just, there's just like simply a lack of, perhaps skill and training on his part to sort of fully convey how he feel felt about me. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so I just, I just sort of wanted more of that. And so in, in how I approach parenting, probably, you know, I think a lot of times parents are like, I'm never going to do this one thing my parents did, or I want to make sure that I do this one mm -hmm. thing that my parents did when I learned I was going to be a dad, I was like, I want to make sure my kids feel comfortable with physical affection and like freely expressing our sort of appreciation and love and gratitude for each other. Mm. And these kids that I came with, they're already, they're already masters at it. They're already way better than I probably will ever be. Mm. So like talking about calling it in, talking about resonance and vibration, like these kids are teaching me all of that mm. stuff rather than me having to, to create that space. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. Definitely feel that with the ears, like with, with in, in my own life too. I definitely feel that it's like you want to, I mean, everyone does. They want to create uh, with their, I mean, not everyone, that's a broad term, but I definitely feel like there's a lot of people that would like to create with their children what they didn't get, what they lacked in life. And and I can, and I see that with my sister as well. And, and I think that's the beauty of having that awareness to go, you know, I want to do something different here. And so then we go back to Carlos Castaneda hey, don't judge their experiences in life. Don't judge their karma. 
they're learning that. So then, you know, they can evolve for their, their next generation comes through and, and, and doesn't repeat it or something, you know. So it's just such a bigger picture at play, man. Like when you look at it all like that, especially hindsight. Hindsight's beautiful. It gives us a great picture of like why it all happened. We just need some foresight sometimes to see that it, see how we can <laughs> predict it, you know. That's cool though. And what was one of the – talk to me a little bit about a low point in your life. You know, we're sort of coming down to the dip of this series now. Like we're going to come back out on the top after this one. But what was one of the lowest points of your life? And, and was suicide – did that ever cross your mind? Well, so so my, so my low point uh, on the outside looks, looks pretty – I, so, so, so I had sort of all the bad things happen at once, but it, but it, I don't see it as a low point. So that's why I'm sort of saying it this way. Yeah. So I lost my house to a flood. Uh, I lost my marriage. Um, I had a traumatic brain injury, a blood clot in my brain and uh, sort of dropped out of grad school without finishing all basically all at the same time. Um, so I basically lost everything like, expected wow. life trajectory, like, you know, lost career, house, marriage, health, sort of all at once. And I was excited about it because it, it was so freeing in a lot of ways. It was like, it was like I made that happen almost because I didn't really want to be, you know, besides my health, I still wanted my health. <laughs> um, but the other thing is like, I, didn't necessarily really want to be in that marriage or mm. I realized I was ready to move on from my career. And maybe that house um, was simply just tying me to a place that I no longer needed to be. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely like in the moment, like crying on the floor, probably the lowest point was when I sort of was in all that. And I, I had food poisoning on top of that as well. And this was in, this was in Bali. Uh, and I just couldn't leave my house for three days. And it was, I was feeling so sorry for myself. I was like, this is the worst. And I, like, nobody, like nobody knew I didn't have friends there yet. And so nobody could come and help me. And I was like, I'm so miserable. It's terrible. Mm. But at the same time, I was like, as soon as I get rid of this food poisoning, like I'm going to go have an adventure. Like I'm going to go meet some people. I'm going to go learn some stuff. Mm. And it was like the whole world was open again. And I was, all these bad things happened and I was all, some people, it takes them some years to say like, that was actually good for me or that I'm glad that happened. It didn't take me very long at all. I was like, getting a divorce. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's funny. You can see like, I I don't know, is this been programmed in you from a young age or is this something that you've recently developed? Is that ability to see, you know, that turnaround to go, okay, how's this happened for me? You know, we, we say that in the self-development world, you know, how does this happen for you, not to you, blah, 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 blah. Like, has that been something that's programmed in you? Um, or has that always been there? I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just, um, I have a very high sort of optimism set point, which I believe is, you know, a combination of genetic, we all, so I, so I've learned that we all have sort of this genetic set point of like our mood, um, sort of where we default to. And I, I would say sort of my happiness levels and my positive outlook, like I oscillate between a seven and a 10, you know, mm-hmm. like, and other people may oscillate between a four and a six or a three and a five or something. So, so I'm operating from this high baseline and then I've done 
things that I really enjoy doing mm-hmm. and I've, you know, meditated and it sort of increased my happiness set points even more. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that ha- has a large impact is, is both the training and sort of this genetics, um, Mm. To, to feel like everything is great, even when somebody else may look at it like this is the worst mm-hmm. possible thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was only talking about that the other day about I feel like there is a, and I didn't even look into this, but it's just like a, a feeling that I had. It's like, and I'd love to hear what you've found on this. There's this, I feel like people are born to be more happy, born to be naturally like artists and naturally sort of like um, have those feelings of melancholy and sadness and sort of they create some beautiful art from that and then other people you know my partner's like all love and just super happy all the time not all the time but like most of the time and i'm just like i feel like there is this natural set point so what what did you like come to discover about that yeah it's a it's an inherited trait um to to a large degree from from your parents um, from their behaviors uh more on a genetic perspective than a behavioral perspective but um so, so sensitive people, artists and, um, you know, highly sensitive people, which is like a, a quarter or a fifth of the population, maybe, um, they're, you know, these are, these are people that are not just sensitive to, to touch or sound, but also emotions and, and sensing other people and empathy and all of these things. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm highly sensitive, but, but my wife is. Mm-hmm. So, so an example is that something uh like tickling tickling my wife feels painful to her and i had to learn that the hard way i was like this will be fun we'll have a tickle fight and she and it's like that is way too intense like it's it's in, intense to the point of being painful so so her interpretation is way different than mine in that sense and i so so i think some of it has to do also with our sensitivity to to mm-hmm. inputs interesting Interesting. That's something that I definitely want to go dive deeper into and have a look at the emotional set points that we might have. And yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to me. But brother, you talked a little bit about the tree, you know, the moment where it sort of started to shift your trajectory. Was that the most significant moment for you of, of that, of awakening? Or was there some, a few other things? So I know you said you've transitioned a few times over through your life. Was that it for you? That was a significant well, once, once that tree sort of gave, gave me that gift, I would say that was uh, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's been just like a, a rocket of accelerated awareness and understanding. Another, another one also happened in Bali. This is a really phenomenal story. Uh, the, I, when I came to understand how Consciousness affects the the physical world, the the world we inhabit, like the 3D that we see all around us. <clears throat> and you know, I had heard of the law of attraction and then heard of heard of this possibility before, but it seemed like a a more Star Wars use the force type of thing. But when I saw it for the first time, mm. it it blew me away. And and I was um trying to set a, a world record for climbing all of Bali's volcanoes in sequence, uh, you know, set the record for climbing them. And when we started, we started at midnight, we all synchronized our watches in the parking lot of the, of the temple there at the base of Mount Agung. And it was, it was crazy because there was nobody in the parking lot, no motorbikes, no cars or anything. 
But when we walked around behind the temple where the trail to go up the mountain was, there was like 10,000 people. There's 10,000 Balinese worshipers in, in their in their white robes, ringing their bells. And they were, they were carrying um, chickens and goats and pigs. And um, they were going to take them to the top of this volcano and do a ceremony, a secret ceremony. Our guides didn't even know about this. They were going to do this secret ceremony at the top of the volcano to turn on rainy season. And it was, you know, the, the way that it impacted our, our, um, our record attempt was that there's this tiny little trail and right there's grandmothers and little children and guys carrying pigs. And there was, there was no way we could run up this volcano through thousands of people. So we just had to sort of like creep our way up in the middle of this secret ceremony, which was, which was super cool. It's a totally unique experience. And we actually ended up, you know, being able to save energy because we walked up the first one. So we were able to sort of run up the next two. Um, so we actually, you know, we, we broke the record by like three and a half hours or something. Um, so it all worked out, but it, um, was, you know, we came, we came down from the first volcano, the, the ceremonial people were coming down and it was this bright, sunny blue sky. And pretty soon the clouds rolled in it started raining i would say it took you know maybe like four hours for the to go from like a completely clear sky for the 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 rain to sort of materialize and then it it rained for six months you know they just they intended for rainy season to start we saw them do the ceremony and it happened like you know within that same morning and then it, that, that was it. And it started rainy season. And I was like, and now there's, there's a ton of scientific evidence, right? That a group of people all collectively intending the same thing can totally shift. Like it's been shown to reduce crime. It's been shown to mm. um, heal, heal people like, you know, group, group prayer. There's, mm-hmm. it's, it's totally validated, but seeing that happen in person and seeing like these people change the weather right in front of me, mm. uh, you know, just, just really sort of blew me away of the connection between consciousness and our intentions mm-hmm. and then the, the material world. Mm. That's so powerful, man. So powerful. I can, uh, it's, it, it, and I haven't, and it just gets me really excited. I'm like, cool, let's go and do some deeper stuff now. Um, you know, like, <laughs> let's get some pen and paper out. Let's go and get this intention down. And I've, it's always been, like, I've seen another study, just heard this recently of a, another study of like, written intention the power of written intention i was lucky enough to have my mum give me you know the book and the and the dvd the secret when i was 17 13 years ago and sort of that was like whoa you know did my vision board all that sort of stuff but i just recently um heard this study on on m harvard graduates for their who studied their mba there um and there was you know a thousand students and they measured the power of, or the effect of goal setting, written goal setting on your trajectory in life, you know, in your career. And what they found was the top three, only 3%, only 3% did written goals. Um, the, there was like 24% who did goals, but just didn't write them. And then the rest didn't do anything. And what they did 10 years later, they came back and revisited these same people instead of said where are they now and i actually can't remember the exact number in the in the in the student but i just threw out a thousand just as 
yeah, I don't know if that's the actual number or the sample size, but the 3% ended up earning, sorry, the collective of the 97%, the collective net worth, one person in the top 3% beat that just from written goal setting. And then every single person in that 3% had 10 times the income of each person in the 97%. And it was just like the power of written goal setting, you know, call that, that's an intention. My goals are, I'm, I'm intending to achieve this goal. And the power of written intention, even just add, just to add to your, your, your conversation is so powerful, man. It's so incredible. And I just, I love that as well. And, and here's what that study, I mean, that's, that's amazing, but here's something that that study is not addressing or that, that I think probably it would be totally missed, which is like, you can sit down and write, I'm going to have a Lamborghini in my life. Or I'm going to do this. Mm. <clears throat> what, what's missing there is the power behind the intent. Mm. <laughs> and that's the, it's like the force of will that you're going to, to create this future timeline where you exist in, in, in a reality where what you want is true. And so, so a lot of times people, maybe they really want something, but they don't have the power, the force of will behind it to actually mm -hmm. make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so there's a piece of the puzzle of, of being able to sort of bring, bring your intent into reality and how forceful you are and, and, and sort of also realizing like where you leak power, like mm -hmm. when you get into negative thought loops or when you get into, to negative emotions or, or when you get into entanglements, you're leaking power, you're leaking mm -hmm. your ability to create a future that you want. So there's two parts. There's, there's being clear on your intent, but there's also the ability to sort of powerfully and consistently live from that place. That feeling state. Yep. Tapping into that feeling state. Mm, that's powerful, man. Love it. Brother, after your awakening journey, say, you know, the, those experiences that you just shared, did you go on a healing journey or was there like a healing, a, a process where you like started doing different healing modalities to sort of step into who you are or who you wanted to be or to let go of some stuff from the past? Was there any of that in your on your journey? And what modality helped you if, if so? You know, I, um, I believe that, that again, there's going to be a lot of healing that needs to happen for people to be able to, um, move to a powerful place, uh, mm -hmm. you know, create, creating their in will and intent. Um, and so when you look at things like psychedelics, there's like great PTSD applications and healing trauma applications. Um, I'm more interested in looking at performance enhancement uh, and potential for sort of healthy normals mm -hmm. um, just because that's sort of how I classify myself. So all of these different healing modalities from, from breath work to psychedelics to um, yoga and meditation uh, I'm looking at for, from a performance enhancement perspective mm -hmm. rather than a sort of a healing perspective. And of course things are coming up, right? Um, so so one example would be like a, um, certain certain things get stuck in your in your body tissues, whether it's dealing with expression. So so some combination of breath work and massage and emotional freedom mm -hmm. techniques, tapping, 
could all sort of move, move that out of your sort of physical system, which would then lead to you being better able to express ideas or better able to lead people or better able to do these things. So I'm, I'm looking at it more from a, how, how can we optimize our experience rather than how can we, we heal, but it's all the same spectrum. I love that perspective, man. It's so true because that's exactly what healing is, is to optimize your human experience, right? To come back into more peace. And so looking as healing as optimization, not as painful and challenging and stressful. So what what did you end up doing as as your own in your own journey? Yeah, and, and, and partly I see my role as an experimentalist and, and sort of being able to report back to other people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I've tried um you know, almost, almost everything I've tried, uh, hypnosis I've done, ayahuasca and psilocybin. I've done many different types of breath work. I do lucid dreaming. I've done biofeedback and neurofeedback. I've done crystal resonance therapy. I've done, mm. you know, that's some of the list. And so I'll, you know, I'll dive into a topic for a little bit and understand it and then go through a process. Um, what was, what was, yeah, there's, there's more that I can't think of right now, but mm. you know, I'm experimenting with all of these and seeing like what's, what's actually worth recommending to other people. What's been the most significant for you? The thing that I recommend the most, which is accessible to people is using dream time for personal growth mm. because everybody dreams and it's a place where your ego is no longer a factor. It's a place where the laws of physics are no longer a factor. So you're not limited by many of the constraints you are in the waking 3D world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's this sort of rapid acceleration of, of what you can do. Um, it's sort of like you could probably do it through psychedelics or, you know, mushrooms or ayahuasca, but you can do it every night sustainably in, in dream time, um, whether it's lucid dreaming or simply setting an intent before you go to bed to understand something or to get guidance around a decision or to, to bring something into your life. Like, you know, let me encounter a person that I need to meet. Um, There's all kinds of intents that you can operate from and your subconscious mind taps into the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Right. And so dream time is this sort of direct connection with, with, with the rest of humanity. And so I teach that to entrepreneurs. Um, you know, personally I do it to have adventures, um, and, and to grow. So I would say that's probably the, so the most accessible modality. Yeah. I love that, man. I did a, uh, there was a summit on just recently, like an online summit called the DreamWorks summit. I'm not sure if you, Hmm. you saw that, but it was incredible. It had like, uh, I can't remember so many speakers over three days um, and just running the consistently the cycle of the dream work summer. And I was, cause it was coming up a lot recently in my field and I'm just like, I've got to dive into this. And ever since that summer, I've just been looking at my dreams so differently every day. And I love how you talk about the intention before you go to, to, to the dream world, you know, it's all, all comes back down to that. It's, you know, what is there? I'm working actually with the, a shamanic healer sort of now going through some of my dreams that I've been having. So it's funny that you bring that up, but I definitely think anyone listening right now who hasn't touched on that, 
Derek brings up a great point. Start to do some research and go into it and set that intention of like, oh, what do I want to learn here? Because the subconscious is insanely powerful when we go into this dream state. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I encourage everyone listening now to just dive in a little deeper into that too. So thanks, bro. Um, cool. I, bet there's, I bet you have a lot to um, oh, love new stuff to teach me. Oh, man. I mean, I still don't even understand it. You know, like I, I'm, I'm like you, like I'm a natural researcher. I love understanding the depths of it. And I'm only just discovering now, like I'm deciphering a couple of dreams, even just the dream that I had a couple of days ago. I'm like, it's so insane. And what they were saying was, you know, only the dreamer will ever be able to decode the dream. Um, and then that was really interesting because, you know, we often go to the dream dictionary and there was so many doctors in this DreamWork Summit. So many doctors, man. PhD, um, you know, academics, medical doctor, a couple of medical doctors. And I'm just like, because some, of, I think a lot of people can think that the the dream world is a little bit like woo woo sometimes or like spiritual. But you know, Carl Jung and and um, Wolfgang Pauli, the astrophysicist, oh, sorry, not astrophysicist, quantum physicist, were studying this years and years and years and years ago. You know, that book, The Atom and the Archetype, where they're, you know, analyzing Wolfgang's dreams. It's insane. And I don't think there's people who do consider this as like a spiritual woo-woo type thing. Like it's 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 far from it. I think it's it's a language that, you know, we can decode ourselves for, for personal transformation. And to see these physics to see these um, academics studying it in this DreamWorks summit, I was like, Ooh, this mm. is me. I love this. So yeah, but that was interesting. What they said is is that because one of the one of the, the the doctors I can't remember her name, but she was like they want her public. She's written she's written multiple books, and then she said, um, they wanted her her publishers wanted her to create a dream dictionary, and she said refuse. She said no, I'm not creating a dream dictionary because the dream dictionary is not universal. It's it's subject to that person only, and so you cannot decide to say, you know, what does teeth falling out mean in my dream? <laughs> you know, that's a common one that everyone gets. It's, it's, it's no, well, what does that mean for you? What's the feeling? So that was something that I've sort of diving, I'm taking out of that and diving into now, the feeling, you know. Mm. <clears throat> I had this crazy yeah. dream the other day and I'm just like, the, what the hell was that? And it was like the thing of coming back into the feeling, which was the super important key to that, which I never would have done before. I was like, what was I feeling at that point? You know, mm-hmm. so that's cool, man. Mm. Um, look, we got a couple more questions here because we're doing a we're doing a similar to uh, episode to Nick to Nick here. <laughs> um, we tend I tend to take people on tangents myself, but uh, tell me about your friend group, Derek. How's that shifted as you've shifted in your life? Where do I want to go with this? <clears throat> um, I have some. I have some great friends. I have some amazing lifelong friends. Um, friends, people that I was friends with in elementary school that I'm still friends with. Um, and to some degree, those those so so people come into your life through circumstance. Sometimes, like they're just your your neighbors, or you happen to be uh, in, you know team with them or, or in your church group or something like that. And there's this sort of, uh, I think most people just, their relationships are just sort of circumstantial, just like that. 
And at some point along the way, I realized I could be friends. I could seek out people that I wanted to be friends with that weren't in my city, you know, um, and I sort of, I have a podcast and I sort of use that as an excuse to meet people I want to meet and become friends with and have in my friend circle. So I have got this sort of people that, that be, are part of my life just because they are. And then there's also the people that I've, I've decided to reach out and have be a part of my life, which is also really cool. Um, and one thing, so, so I, for many years I was moving from city to city or country to country doing the digital nomad thing. And the easiest way to make friends quickly is just through a common activity. Mm-hmm. So a, a group of people playing Frisbee, right? All of a sudden you've got 25 friends on your first day mm-hmm. or you go to a co-working space. I, I would often do this. I would go to a co-working space, give a talk on my first week in town and then everybody that attended my talk would want to be friends with me. And then I would sort of from, from that group, probably five, five or six of those people would be people that I really liked. And then you sort of build from there. So especially when you're moving and you need to sort of figure out who you're going to be your friends quickly, if you're only in a place for a few months. Um, so there's, there's a few different places I work from, um, a few different types of friends that I, that I have. Mm. And you naturally, it's not that you've like, you said you got a few good friends in elementary school and it's just like, as you sort of go into new environments, you, you sort of feel into what's resonating with you. Have you ever had any situations where you're like some old friends that were close friends have had to shift and had to, you've had to sort of leave, let, let go on their journey and you go in separate directions. Has that happened with you or is it not really been a big challenge? I think it's, it's mostly, um, it hasn't, it hasn't really been that, that I've, it's because I'm, because I'm leaving the physical location, those friendships sort of just, you, you can't maintain a thousand different deep connections from, from afar. It's, it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I say it's more of, of a physical distance thing. If I was still there, I'd probably still be friends with many of them. I haven't necessarily noticed like, Oh, my worldview is diverging this way and their worldview is diverging that way. And we're no longer sort of, suited to each other um it's it's more that it's just me moving around causes relationships to Mm -hmm. to lessen Mm. yeah beautiful i know one of the biggest challenges for for people changing in their life is is definitely like the worldview of this is my worldview or these are my highest values our values don't align so we can't really chat about the similar like-minded values and that sense of shift people away but it doesn't seem like that's been a big, of a, much of a challenge for you, which is, which is very interesting. Um, brother, you know, it's beautiful to be grateful about a lot of things in this world. And there, we de- definitely have a lot to be grateful for, but what part of your conscious journey are you most grateful for? Uh, I mean, I, I experienced a lot of joy in, discovering like let's let's say you know dream time just discovering like what's there and and uh mm-hmm. getting to live live that um or trying trying something like um you know in the last year i've learned to make crystal grids like learning how crystals create um a 3d sort of energy structure that can be tied to consciousness like mm. it's it's just fun to play with that stuff and so uh, the fact that 
this is kind of my job to mm-hmm. research and experiment and discover these things. Uh, that's super cool that I get to so awesome. just focus on what I'm really curious about. Yeah, using your skills and 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 developing, or, you know, just deepening your knowledge on what you're passionate about and curious about. That's really cool. Interesting. How do you measure the the resonance of a, of a crystal grid? Do you have like tools, like actual feedback tools that measure that? I don't, but there is. You can do it. Um, you know, crystals are used in technology quite a lot, and watches yeah. and LCD screens and um, and things like that. So there's there's plenty of um, different different metrics you could you could measure crystals with. Um, <clears throat> the way that I look at crystal grids is that you're sort of bringing bringing an intent um, in, into sort of a physical representation mm-hmm. and that it's sort of like tethering, tethering the intent in, into a specific structure mm-hmm. uh, that, that becomes, mm, it's, a, it's almost like a device for, for continuing to broadcast that particular frequency of intent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating, man. I've, um, I, I did, I, I'm a crystal healer, so I use a lot of crystals and, and we have them everywhere and it's just mm. insane. I've actually got this crazy story of one, but we won't go into it, but it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a whole nother world with that. So yeah, I find that fascinating. Last question for you, brother. Thinking of, of you know, your own personal journey and, and where you've come from, what's one, of, what's one tip that you would give your old self who's just starting this journey and who may be listening mm. right now? Yeah, that's a good question. One tip that I would give myself starting out. The first thing that comes to mind, and I'll just go with that, is what's what's helped me a lot is is examining my beliefs and being able to see to see my beliefs and uh, just understanding like where I've been operating from, mm. and and it's tied to identity mm. in in a way. So. So looking at like, if you are this type of person, then what does that lead you to think? And what are your habits and what do you do? And sort of what are your thoughts? And realizing that there's different identities you could hold that would lead you to do, to do different things. So it's not the, it's not the doingness, it's the sort of the beingness. And so when I train entrepreneurs, right? Like what, who, who you're going to have to be to generate seven figures or to, to reach a million people or, or whatever it may be, but you, you can understand your current identity. You can examine sort of like your, your belief structures and, and thought patterns and habits from a sort of a biological level and then moving to a, to a spiritual level. Um, again, going up and down a sort of a, a ladder here. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but there's, there's examining the identity you hold and mm. perhaps what identity you want to hold and then what beliefs structures you're operating from mm-hmm. um, can just give you context for how, how you're showing up in the world. Mm-hmm. Love that, man. Managing uh, your identity or, or, or 
examining your identity and your beliefs. Be mindful of that for those listening. Brother, I really appreciate your time. We definitely used a lot of it and I'm yeah, I really am grateful for that and I love sharing people's individual journey. And so thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. It was uh it was a pleasure. Mm, you're welcome and thank you to everyone for listening and for tuning in and if you do have any questions or you do want to reach out let us know what resonated or if you want to let us know how this has affected and impacted your life please do reach out to both of us I definitely personally love hearing about it um, and it keeps me it, it just keeps me aware of like what people are really needing and and, uh, and I love that so again please do see the show notes Reach out to us individually if you choose to share this with someone who needs it. And thank you very much for listening and keep pushing on your journey. It's a beautiful one. Much love. Thanks, Derek. And just be. I got love in my eyes, bro. I can't see. I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be. Wokeness is taking my old self away. Yeah, I put love into me. I'm spreading that love. Yo, don't you see? Grab your cacao and drink it with me. Cause wokeness is taking my old self away. Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man. Bring love and just be. Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.